welcome to the Last of the Moon podcast. I'm Bryce McCracken. I'm Wyatt Van Dyke. And today we will be talking about the 2017 film La La Land. Before we get into that, you may notice there's only two of us. There is only two of us. There are only two of us? Either way, it's a moot point. Today, this Thursday, March 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2023, we lost Brett Allen McCracken. Brett Allen McCracken. (laughs) That's my husband. (laughs) Brett Allen Redshaw. He's not dead. We just left him in Target, and he's still there. And he can't find (laughs) a way out. His phone died. He's he's there somewhere. Hopefully, he's got enough food. He made a made a bed in the paper towel aisle. He just kind of crawled back in there, and I presume that's where he still is. He gets so scared when he's out in public alone. Usually, like this doesn't happen because we hold hands. We all walk the three of us in line together, like buddy style, like you would. He, he broke free from the chain, and he's gone. Yeah, this is why you should always hold your friends' hands in public because. They can get away in a target and you'll never see them again. I know he's crying and we're sitting next to Paige right now and she's so sad that her dad is gone and may never come back, honestly. It's it's pretty daunting. Uh, he doesn't even know directions. So he's just, he's there for good. All he, he knows is podcast. If you see him, send him our way. He really likes, not pasta. I was trying to, I was trying to think of his he favorite. He hates pasta. He hates pasta. I was trying to think of his favorite food. Um, he eats like three foods. Yeah, this man really wanted a Wendy's burger like two days ago. If you see him, maybe offer him one of those. He's skittish, but he will approach if you offer him a treat. That's true. Uh, and bring him home. Yeah, we miss, him, we so miss him. We had planned on doing this episode with him, but due to some scheduling issues and us accidentally leaving him in a target, we will unfortunately be doing this episode without him. So hopefully he returns home to us soon. With that that out of the way, and also worth noting before we get too far ahead, I sound weird because I'm a little sicky. I don't normally sound like this, and I feel like I should clarify. You've been sick for a while now. I It might be terminal. <laughs> I, the terminal sicky. I got a terminal case of the sicky. I was fine for like a week, and then I was struckith again. Uh, maybe I should have a normal sleep schedule. Maybe I should drink more water. Maybe I have cancer. Do you feel okay? I feel fine. I just sound weird. But uh, beyond that, I just thought I'd clarify. Uh, we watched La La Land. We did do that. It's my third favorite movie of all time. It's a great, great segue. Wyatt, why is this your third favorite movie of all time? That's very high praise. Actually, I'm thinking about it, it might be fourth after Sun and myself are grappling wow. with where it falls on the list right Yeah, you now. did just get an after Sun tattoo. It is worth noting that I think it's nice that we share the same sky has just been permanently added to my body. Uh, shout out to you, Paul. But, uh, I had a friend at work today. I went into the office today. I, I never do, but I went in today and a friend who uh, graciously supports this podcast. Thank you, Colin, if you're listening to this, who saw our Instagram post that Wyatt made when uh, he got that tattoo. And he was like, Bryce, I like your new tattoo. And I said, huh? Hey, man. I didn't get a tattoo. And he was like, yeah, you put it on your Instagram. And I was like, um, no, I did not. And he was like, yeah, on your podcast Instagram. And I was like, oh, I didn't know you even followed that. Thank you. But that was not me, you dumb man. Hey, Colin, don't let him talk to you like that. Report him to your superiors. Get Bryce fired. I appreciate your support of my tattoo. I'm going to be honest. Logistically, I have no idea how that would work at my company. We have like such a weirdly formatted hierarchical system. Like I know, I know who's higher up than me, but I have no idea who's in charge. 
I'd just be working. It's the Wild West out there in the consulting. It really area. is. Uh, but uh, I didn't let you answer the question I asked you, though. Yeah, why, why, is this your, why is this your fourth favorite movie? Um, I saw this movie in theaters. I'm one, unlike Bryce and Brett, who can be swayed just massively by trailers. And the trailer for La La Land was like masterfully executed. I somehow did miss in watching the trailer that this movie is a musical. That's wild, As actually. we'll discuss at some point, I assume, today. I'm not a musical lover. I verge on being a musical hater. I, there's so few that I enjoy that this. You are is, a guy who likes music, though. I do love music. I just think music in movies sometimes is really bad. But La you're, La Land, you're talking in terms of like the characters essentially break the fourth wall and just yeah, start yeah, singing yeah. and yeah, dancing. That's okay. what I'm talking about. But La La Land, seeing that in person, as I did in The Villages, Florida, lovely place. Produced this like sense of magic in going to the movies that I, I mentioned this when we were rewatching the three of us. Watching La La Land feels like what it would be like to watch a movie for the first time in like the 1920s. <laughs> like it captures this magic of cinema and especially seeing it on a massive screen in which I was sitting in the front row. So the, the screen felt so much bigger. Makes me feel kind of like a kid watching a movie for the first time. Part of that has to do with how it's shot. I think it's cinematically one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. I can be convinced of that easy if you just throw me a pastel color scheme in your coloration. Maybe some long shots. Some long shots. Ryan Gosling's face, Emma Stone's face. (laughs) Um, But I also just love the two main characters. I like that it's a love story, but also not. I don't want to spoil too much before we we break into the, the spoiler part of the discussion for those who haven't seen this movie. But that's what it's all about for me. I just think it's Watching two people that I think you can really relate to in a a struggle to gather identity and follow that which you love uh, while also trying to maintain relationships. It's it's a tough balance to be a person Mm -hmm. and to have goals and dreams on a world, especially in the arts or something in the entertainment business in which that the ability to achieve those those goals feels so much smaller. But it's a beautiful movie. From beginning to end, the music is great. City of Stars is one of my favorite songs, original songs, to ever be put in a movie. And this just in, why it's got a a bet in tandem with Brett's Oscar bet. Yeah, I don't know why I made this. (laughs) This is a bad idea. It's more so because I feel the need to motivate myself. And how I do so is I unnecessarily threw myself into weighty odds not in my favor I and bet, then you got to commit. I bet Brett's that before the summer, which is not, I guess, an official day. I think we'll probably set it like June 21st, like the official summer solstice. Shout out paganism. Um, <laughs> I love a shout out to paganism on my podcast. Oh, absolutely. But if I don't learn how to play City of Stars on the newfound piano that now occupies space in our living room, by then, that aforementioned dog collar walk that I took Brett on will change hands and suddenly I will be the collared fellow and Brett the dog walker. So did I know any specifics on how hard a song this would be to learn going into it? Absolutely not. I just spoke with very little background knowledge, which is (laughs) something I'm so good at doing. And by so good, I mean sometimes I need to shut up and I don't. And I've been informed by Bryce that that's a pretty tough song to learn. On, On second listen... The when when I learned of this bet, it was in the context of the movie, and there was a lot more happening. If it's just the basic like piano riff, I think that that's very doable. You got to commit to it. I've yet to see you sit down at that piano, but 
I think it's possible. My plan is not to pursue any knowledge of music theory. I can count in time fine. And I think if I memorize where each of my fingers go at every single instance, I can memorize the song while simultaneously having no skills on the piano at all. Uh, and just hoping that that takes me where I need to go, you know? Either way, I'll be happy because if you can do it, my friend will have learned a new skill and a song that he likes, and that will make him happy. But if you can't, I get to watch Brett walk you around the living room in a dog collar, so that'll be pretty entertaining too. It's a running bit in this house now, and I await whatever Bryce's bet will be for this. We'll see if that ever happens. I'm not a betting man. You're up next, but either way, do you want to give the background on what this movie is? Yeah, for sure. La La Land is a movie that came out in 2017, directed by Damien Chazelle. This was his second feature-length film after Whiplash, a film that I love very much. Whiplash. At one point, good. Whiplash is also probably like a top 20 movie of all time. It's phenomenal. At one point, I had made a top 50 favorite movies of all time, and it was in there somewhere. I deleted that list because it changed literally every single day, so I I just deleted the whole thing, but that's a great movie. Damien Chazelle loves dudes who just really want to play jazz Mm -hmm. music. His first two movies feature two dudes just really want to play jazz. He, he clearly just has a love for music in general. I mean, music is such a big part of Babylon. and Then there's First Man, which is like a really weird fourth outlier. Yeah, that's a strange one. But regardless, he seems to be very attached to music. But La La Land came out in... I'm actually seeing now... Uh, I've said twice now it, it came out in 2017. It was in the 2017 Oscars, an event that I watched live. I believe that was the first Oscars I ever watched, at least as someone who cared about movies. It actually came out in 2016, this film, but 2016, it follows Sebastian and Mia, played by Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, two actors that I like a lot. They are each starving artists in a way. Ryan Gosling wants to be a professional, famous jazz musician, and ultimately he wants to open up his own jazz club. Chicken on a Stick. Chicken on a Stick, which is... A funny name and a point of contention in their relationship. And Emma Stone's character, Mia, is a struggling actress who's also working as a barista on a on a film studio set. And the two of them meet a few times, once in traffic, <laughs> and uh, I believe Sebastian flips her off, actually. And then again at a party. Do they meet before that again? They meet three times total, right? Before they... Uh, yeah, there's the initial meeting at the, in the, in the cars, there is the party, there's where she runs into him. I forget in what order, cause she runs into him when he gets fired for playing non-Christmas mm, yes. music. That was that, first. Yeah. So, so she walks, she, she's walking by a, a restaurant and hears some pretty piano music and she hears him playing and he's just going crazy on the keys and. She has this moment of like, wow, this guy is beautiful and talented, but then nothing comes of that. And then again, they run into each other at a party and they chit chat and there's some like funny banter about like, (laughs) we keep running into each other and they're picking on each other in like a flirtatious way. It's all very cute, but this third meeting sparks a romance. The the vast majority of the movie is, is the two of them struggling as artists, trying to balance that with their their relationship. And it's clear that these two are very passionate about each other, but they're trying to balance their their relationship with their career aspirations. And so that's what this movie is all about. It's a musical. 
and not one that is based on a stage musical, like a lot of musicals that we see in movies now where they're just, there's a successful stage musical and they're like, eh, let's, this will make money. Let's make this into a movie. And it almost never goes well. Um, shout out Cats. Shout out Cats. Shout out Dear Evan Hansen. Shout out Prom. These are just films that came out in the last couple of years that were not good. But yeah, that's a common thing. This is a completely original idea from the brain of Damien Chazelle, and we like it a lot. I mean, Wyatt has given his reasoning for it being his fourth favorite movie. I don't have it anywhere near that high, but this is a great movie that I really enjoy watching. I had not seen it since it came out, and so rewatching it last week or the other day, uh, I was reminded just why I liked this movie so much. There's, I, I really don't have any issues with it. Um, John Legend in that damn turtleneck. John Legend in the damn turtleneck. Yeah, it's a shame Brett's not here to retell his John Legend in a turtleneck story, but if you're interested in hearing that, it's very funny. It's in our Valentine's Day special. Yeah, I, I really struggle to find things that I don't like about this movie. Maybe the only reason why it's not higher in my personal favorites is just because it it doesn't like connect with me in the in You can't the same resonate way. with but the, exactly. the characters, type deal. I Not even that. Like I think everything's flushed out really well. It's just there. Everyone has their cup of tea. Yeah, film wise, and this is maybe not mine, but it is a great movie. I like it a lot, so I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, it. Um, all three movies that I currently rank ahead of it on my all time list, that being, uh, Waves, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and After Sun, all have come out following this movie. So there's a pretty significant period of time where I considered La La Land my favorite movie. Also worth noting that. In the lead up to this movie, Ryan Gosling spent three months learning how to play piano, which first off does not feel like a long enough amount of time for the amount of skill that he showcases in this film. I remember arguing with my dad when we saw this movie because my dad is a huge music buff, knows how to play piano, knows how to play every instrument under the sun. And he's like, oh, there's no way. There's no way he was playing that. See, it was just shots. He's an actor. He's an actor. How's he doing that? And the commitment to the craft there is crazy because this man had to be in like everyday boot camp locked down jamming on the ivories yeah so so you're stepping on this is not your fault because i didn't tell you we were doing this you're stepping on bryce's and nerd fun facts uh that is the first one i have there and it is now relevant so i'll 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 bring it up two hours a day six days a week for three months which sounds like a lot but in terms of like i mean he's playing a professional musician (laughs) and he's doing it passably it's incredibly impressive and Every shot in the movie of him playing, he is actually playing. The audio of him playing is a different musician, but by the time that they filmed him in those scenes, he could actually play every piece of music in the movie, which is incredible. Apparently, John Legend, in a turtleneck, who is in this movie, expressed not displeasure, but maybe some jealousy (laughs) about this, because he was like, how on earth did he learn to play piano that fast? Like He was just very impressed. Which is ironic. One of my nitpicks, which is stepping on the, what's the name for this category? Why it's a pretentious asshole nitpick corner. Something yeah, there like we that. go. There we go. <laughs> One of the nitpicks I had for this movie was, hold on, John Legend is a professional musician. Why does it look like he has no idea how to hold or play a guitar? John Legend has always felt like an industry plant. He's to a me. weird. I don't know who listens to person. him or who enjoys his music or who enjoys consuming any media yeah. produced by him or yeah. his wife. But ironically, he cannot play guitar but his character is a guitar player in the movie so (laughs) even though john legend is the professional musician 
in the scenes where John Legend and Ryan Gosling are playing on stage together, John Legend is not actually playing his instrument, and Ryan Gosling is, which I think is hilarious. But yeah, let's talk about, before we get into spoilers, I mentioned briefly, I had not seen this movie since it came out. One big point of discussion around this movie is, of course, it's pretty legendary Oscars appearance for more reasons than one. I mean, firstly, the biggest deal of all, La La Land shares the most Oscar nominations of all time with Titanic, one of the greatest movies of all time, and All About Eve, which is a fine movie <laughs> that Shout nobody out. has seen. What year was that? Uh, at 1950, maybe? I wasn't around. Yeah. I'm going to verify that. Just make sure I'm not a moron. I think it was 1950. It was certainly 1950. I'm there good at my go. job. Did not win all of them, but it did win six Oscars, which which does put it up there in terms of like one of the winningest films at the Oscars of all time. But unfortunately, it, like I do feel like that's pretty deserved. But famously, if you say Oscars, a lot of people might think of this, but especially if you say Oscars 2017 or Oscars La La Land, people are immediately going to think of the famous mistake that for whatever reason, Warren Buffett and Faye Dunaway made. I don't know why those two were the ones reading <laughs> reading the best picture category. Do you know Warren Buffett changes his McDonald's order every morning dependent on how the stock market is doing? What? He and goes to McDonald's every morning? He drinks like two liters of cherry Pepsi a day. What? How's He's he the alive? worst the worst diet I've ever seen in a person. That's unbelievable. That's an interesting man. But yeah, he and Faye Den- Dunaway went to read the winner at the Oscars in 2017 were Best Picture, and they announced La La Land, and no one was shocked because La La Land had already won five categories at this point. It was predicted to win Best Picture, so <laughs> the cast and crew of La La Land go up on stage, and for two and a half minutes or something like that, it was definitely over two minutes, they gave speeches. I believe they got three speeches out before the producers of the Oscars were like, uh, hey, actually... You didn't win. We we made a mistake, which has never happened before. I believe, if I remember correctly, weren't they handed the envelope that had like the nominees yes. on it? And they just read the first name. Yeah. So there was a, there was a misprint, and Emma Stone's Best Actress win was printed twice. So when they went out there, they opened up the envelope, and it's very clear. Like if you if you rewatch it, Warren Buffett is he opens it and he's like confused which shouldn't happen. It's just words on a page. He's a smart guy. He knows how to read. And Faye Dunaway is like a little bit confused, I think, like why he's not just saying who won. And she looks over and I guess sees La La Land on the page and just is like, La La Land. But (laughs) everybody breaks into applause. Yes. Like, wow, this is a big moment. And uh, it was not La La Land that won. It was Moonlight, which is my personal favorite movie from that year. And I think a well-deserved Best Picture winner, but it's it's like a shame that that mishap has tainted the legacy of both of these movies because they're both incredible movies. And now every time you talk about either of them, people are like, "Oh yeah, the Oscars flub." <laughs> yeah, despite the fact that I have La La Land ranked higher on my all time list and enjoyed it more, Moonlight's win was A twenty four's first Best Picture win as a studio, so I gotta love that. And it's also such a deserving movie too. It is like Bryce said, a shame that. That's what we think of when we think of those two movies instead of like how they're respectively masterpieces uh, in their own fields and own styles. But uh, 
It's a mistake the likes of which we have not seen since like the Miss Amer or Miss Universe competition when they did the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. But either way, that's uh, and that was like not long after, right? Yeah, it was no, like the I, same year. I kind of thought it was like a scripted bit for a while to just like drum up drama. But either way, someone definitely got fired for that. I assume some like intern or someone who prints things lost their job. And it's probably like the the biggest enemy of those two movies out there uh, because of what it cost them. But either way, I'm fine with Moonlight winning La La Land. I liked it a little bit more, but both extremely deserving movies that would win in a year that wasn't so absolutely stacked. It won Best Director, Best Actress, Best Cinematography, Best Original Score, Best Original Song, which it was nominated for two different songs, which I've never seen before, Best Production Design. And I think the two notable categories for me there and what I what really stood out to me on my second watch with like, I left this movie and that is what I was thinking about was the production design and the costuming, especially the production design. Wyatt mentioned briefly the lighting in this movie. It's incredible and it's not just used to make things look pretty. When we get into spoilers, I, I have one notable scene specifically that the production design is used and changed specifically to invoke a feeling. And it does that multiple times throughout the movie. And each scene, there's a lot going on. And when there's not a lot going on, it's intentional. Like the director, Damien Chazelle, is trying to get a feeling across by putting things in or taking things out of a scene. It's really incredible. Wyatt loves his non-traditional lighting i frankly do too that's why i enjoy a lot of a24 movies and that is certainly on display here there's a lot of reds and blues and it's all very unique looking but it's also just beautiful like this one best cinematography this is also a fun fact that i had there's an incredible scene it's right after the party when they have like a tap dance number mm -hmm. on top of a hill in the hollywood hills i presume i don't know la that well We'll move out there someday when this podcast yeah, takes Yeah, one day. Off. And, like, they're, they're tap dancing, and behind them is this gorgeous sunset. And we were watching this, the three of us, and I think it was Brett was like, so that's a green screen, right? And I was like, it has to be. And I just said that without thinking about it. And then I, I was like, it's clearly like an incredible green screen because the camera is moving up and down and like capturing different parts of it. It's zooming. It's, it's moving side to side. And I was like, logistically, I, I don't really understand how that's a green screen, but it has to be because there's no way they did this practically. Turns out they did it practically. <laughs> they had 30 minutes a day for only two days to get that scene right. I guess specifically it was between the hours of 7.20 and 7.50 and it was the fourth take that they used in the movie. But I would imagine that took a lot of rehearsal in advance of actually getting up there. We saw last year Babylon, where they literally capture a scene of people filming trying to use the sunset as natural lighting and the chaos and stress that that invokes on a film set. And I cannot imagine what it was like doing that for this movie because... They're literally like doing this complicated dance sequence and trying to use this gorgeous natural sunset. I don't want to mess with it. It's it's uh it's perfect. 
La La Land also has so many callbacks. Like if you like like the golden age of cinema, like the the 40s and 50s and whatnot, this is just kind of like a love letter to old Hollywood. Absolutely. I'm looking at the list of all of the movies that La La Land references. And there's like from Singing in the Rain to Boogie Nights to uh, American Paris. I mean, there's an infinite amount. Damien Chazelle has been pretty candid about that in interviews. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, of course. I mean, these are the movies that inspired me to do what I do. Why not like give them a little bit of love yep. in the process? I believe some of the scenes were even filmed on the same, same sta- yeah. stage or set as Singing in the Rain, which is, you, you talked about how like the first time you saw this in theaters, it was like opening your eyes to like what the magic of movies is. That's what I was going to And it's really there, cool yeah. because that's sort of the role that singing in the rain had for so many people. People had never seen a movie like that before. And so for this movie, which is such a big homage to that, to invoke that feeling in you, it's like, this is our generation's singing in the rain in which, a lot of ways. If Damon Chazelle listened to that would probably be like exactly what he's going for and what he was hoping for. But we'll get him on the podcast. Someday. It's remarkable. Hey, my mom always believes that if we just email people, we're nice enough <laughs> and they'll join. So yeah. But right. either way, let's move into some good old spoiler. Yeah, discussion. let's do it. Yeah. So if you do not want to be spoiled for 2016's La La Land, it is on Netflix. Check that movie out and come back and join this conversation. If you don't care, if you just want to hear us talk about this movie, feel free to keep listening. But yeah, we'll talk to you in just a second. Wyatt, do you have anywhere you want to start? I mean, I don't, sometimes in our movie discussions, we go in like order of plot and we just kind of follow order. I think we should throw that out the window. Throw it out the window. There's so much that I want to talk about. And in looking at like theme guides to this movie, there's so many different questions that I have for you. So assuming everybody has seen La La Land at this point, knows what it's about, I will start with the question. Do you think La La Land poses the question that you should pursue career and passions ahead of love and relationships? Mm. So, of course, if you are at this point and you don't know what why it's talking about, the it's also funny. Every single time we give a spoiler warning, we don't talk about spoilers for like 30 minutes. We're uh, getting right into it. We're today. doing it right now. The only real spoiler in this movie is... At the end of the movie, they don't actually end up together. They go their separate ways. They break up to pursue their own passions. Mia becomes a successful actor. She marries somebody else and has a kid with them. And Ryan Gosling's character, Sebastian, actually does it. He opens up his own jazz club. And it's clearly very successful. And it's clear that they're both successful. It hints at that in different ways. But, Wyatt, your question is, is the movie saying you should do that? I think that's, yes. Did the characters, in their sense, pursue what was important to them, Mia acting, Sebastian opening his own club, ahead of, did they put forth their careers in front of their relationship? Is that what undid it? Or did they just grow apart? I don't, I don't know if, if he's specifically saying this is the right way. I mean, he's he's a happily married guy. His wife helped him make Babylon, actually. She's also in that movie. Shut up. Um, that was a great job. So I, I struggle to believe that Damien Chazelle is the type of person that would say relationships don't matter. However, I do think he is telling a story in which to these two individuals, 
what matters most to them is their career aspirations. And there was a quote in the movie that I wrote down from Mia that's really early on in the movie. She says, someday I'm going to find out who I'm going to be, a somewhere that's just waiting to be found. And this is like right at the beginning that's of the movie. That's the opening, yeah. opening number, yeah. And somewhere in the sun. Like, she's literally telling you <laughs> in that line, her character is not about love. Like, there are so many so many musicals where the opening song is like, this is what I'm looking for. And for her, it's about finding herself. It's about herself. It's not about, I need this person or this person to complete me. She meets Sebastian and they click and they have a lot of chemistry and they fall in love. But that's not ultimately what she's looking for in life. And it's impossible for her to be with him and also have what is her ultimate goal, which is like to be a successful actress. And I mean, she becomes a successful actress and marries somebody and has a kid. Like it's clear that's possible, but I guess that just wasn't possible with, with Sebastian, which is very sad. Like, especially when you're following the two of them. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it's like a, a theme that Damien Chazelle has, now visited twice in his first two movies. Mm, Do you yeah. remember in Whiplash, Miles Teller's character breaks up with his girlfriend because she will get in the way of him becoming the best jazz drummer like he can be. Yeah. So there's something there for him. And they come at it in two different angles in both of those movies. So I guess it's a compare and contrast. Like in Whiplash, obviously not the movie we're talking about, but it's relevant to the discussion. Miles Teller's character gets rid of his girlfriend before she can even become the problem he sees that it will <laughs> yeah. he sees that it will like happen in the future and la la land you kind of witness the breakdown of this romance over the second half of the movie you can see their slow like growing apart as they spend less time together with sebastian on the road with his band uh featuring turtleneck john legend uh and mia going out and doing roles uh, abroad and becoming a more forward name. But I also think it's worth noting that neither of them would be in that place to begin with, but were not for mm. the other person. Yeah, that's a really good point. Both of them received that extra push that they needed from each other. Uh, Mia had a lot of constructive criticism for what Sebastian should look for, from changing the name of Chicken on the Stick to <laughs> Sebs, which a much you better see name. In, the final, in the final scene is what he calls the club. He uses her logo that she draws him to. And... He kind of reawakens that love for movies in her after she's going through a period where everything she tries out for feels like it's some stupid movie that she doesn't want to be a part of, that she's just trying to get like bit parts in. They go to the movies and it, it like reopens her eyes in that, in that sense. So I think that it kind of showcases that whether or not people are permanent in your lives, they can still have massive impacts. Mm, you don't have yeah. to be around forever or be in a romance with someone forever for them to like massively shape your life and change you but i don't think it's like a failure of a romance i think it's it got them to where they needed to be in their own individual lives and i think it's sad to see that scene in which they're they're looking at each other and me is with her husband who has no idea who this guy is who's playing piano and sebastian looks really sad honestly yeah it feels like he loses in the end of the movie which yeah. i don't love but they got to where they are because of each other respectively yeah and 
what I love so much about that is it's real. I think you really hit the the nail on the head. So many movies, especially romances or love stories, the whole point is they find their happily ever after together. And I don't want to give the impression that I don't believe that that's a real thing, but I think when you're constantly in the search for a happily ever after story in movies, it almost reduces the impact of all of the people that you, and like I'm talking directly to the listener right now and directly to you, Wyatt. It's like when you're constantly in the search for a movie that shows you a happily ever after with your one true love, it negates the power and the impact of all of the people that you love in the process of finding your one true love. It's like you may date 10 people before then, and you may say, I love you to half of them. You genuinely love those people. Those relationships didn't mean anything less to you in that moment because they weren't the person that you ended up with. And so I, I really appreciate that this movie doesn't hold back. It's showing the pain that's associated with moving on from one of those relationships. But it, like it's, it's clear Damien Chazelle values those relationships all the same. I would imagine, and this is a complete reach on my part, he likely had some people in his life that he loved that maybe he had to push to the side to become a successful filmmaker. And he eventually met someone that works on films and he's married too happily with now that works with him. Like, I think it's entirely possible that he sees himself in both of these characters, just like in a median state. Like it's not telling the end story. It's telling the middle story, which is just as beautiful. It's a journey through it all. I mean, you're not going to movies that, like Bryce was saying, showcase the 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 one true love, the the happy ever after. That is part of a story, but there's going to be so much more to it. And every person that you meet along the way, you're going to take a little bit from and realize, oh, this is what I'm looking for here. Oh, this doesn't work here. And that's just as important as the final product. You don't solve a math problem without doing the steps beforehand. Yeah. Not to compare the game of romance to that of algebra, <laughs> but that's what it is. I mean uh, to steal a quote from the greatest show of all time, HBO Max's Euphoria. I was wondering where you're going with that. Um, Hunter Schaefer's character in that, Jules, talks about how she is a collection of a thousand pieces of other people she's met, which is a theory that I have that every person is not like your personality is not unique to you. Mm, yeah. You are every interaction you've had with other people, like formulaically combined into one. I am a sum of conversations I've had with people that if you forced onto somebody else, if someone had my same upbringing, they'd end up the same way. I don't think like personality is inherent to who you are. It is inherent to your experiences, which is far away from where we started originally. But that's what I like about this movie is there's so much that you can just keep spinning with it and just keep thinking and taking away stuff, which is like, especially especially unique for a musical like i mean i i I don't want to give the wrong impression i'm a big musical guy i've been in musicals i often really enjoy a musical when it's turned into a movie even if they're not good nine times out of ten when that happens it's like i know this music i like this music this movie's not very good but you're showing me characters i know singing songs that i like to sing along to i'm gonna have a fine time usually can't be enough to get by exactly and this is not that at all. Like, it's very much a, a real story 
I, I talked in the Valentine's Day episode about how it it uses its musical element to sort of capture the feeling of what it what it's like to get swept off your feet in love. So like like it's using this maybe crutch of a musical where they're they're breaking the fourth wall and they're doing unnatural things like singing and dancing in a scenario where no one would ever do that. But it's all for the purpose of capturing a feeling, which I think is not something that the vast majority of film musicals do. So yeah, I, I really like that about it. In in researching for this movie, I ran across like a zine. I always forget if it's zine, zine, whatever they're called, like those little short info pieces that described I have it. no idea what you're talking about. Like Z-I-N-E, a zine, zine. It's like a short magazine. I think it's just a magazine oh, missing the MAGA part. I've never heard of that. Either way, uh, it described La La Land not as a love story for people. It's a love story for people who are passionate about things, mm. which I really like. Because I am one who tends to be. <laughs> I was about to say you and I the both most passionate yeah. about everything. I'm fully convinced that if there is something worth worth doing and loving, it is worth doing it to the extremes. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in the halfway, uh, just because the best Breaking Bad episode, no half measures. Exactly. I yeah. haven't seen that, but, but it's why it. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it for its what it's worth. But um, that's like the whole point. If you love something, why not? Give it your all, whether it be a person or a career. And I think both of them showcase that throughout the whole movie. Yeah. They're giving their all to a relationship, even when it's rocky, even when it's tough, even when you have to drive to, what is it, like somewhere Nevada. Yeah, Nevada. Uh, and lay on the horn outside of your <laughs> ex-girlfriend slash girlfriend's parents' house. Very cute. In a scene that I love that I feel like is 2016's equivalent of throwing rocks at the window. Oh, and when when she's like... How did you even like find me here? Because she never gives him the address. He's just like, it was the house across from the, the library. library, which is like almost an offhand thing that she mentions early on to him in the movie. And it shows like he's always been listening. Like that, that was a small thing that most people probably wouldn't even remember. But now in this moment, it allowed him to find her house, <laughs> which is just insane. Yeah, it's it's a cute little little bit, but it's just proof that they're passionate about each other like i was starting this point uh so in this arc where i'm going with this is that passionate people rock if you love something love it to its fullest if you hate something hate it to its fullest you know (laughs) both extremes there is no room for doing things halfway i'm thoroughly convinced uh and so i love that that is showcased so beautifully in a movie claim that mitski is everyone on your podcast's queen when she might just be yours say that Everything ever is like in your top so-and-so favorite. <laughs> Everybody listening to this podcast is probably like, why it has nine favorite of these respective things. I'm always talking about something that is my favorite of all time. I have so many favorite of all time things because it's all high up there because I enjoy the hell out of it. And so I need to be way over the top because that's how I feel about it. Say or, Ant-Man was a bad movie just because it wasn't a great movie. Yeah, I these are all things that you've done. I can't think of a movie. I I, I love it about you. I can't think of a movie that I've seen where I've just been like, that was mediocre. (laughs) I have strong feelings about everything I've ever seen. There's never been one that we've talked about on this podcast where I've felt indifferent or like swayed in one way or another. Mm -hmm. I am going to be on one end of the spectrum either way because I just think that that's how my brain works. I know it's not how everyone's works, but uh, I don't think it's a bad thing for the most part can lead to some some pushback you know a little bit of an argumentative tendency but 
That's what it's all for. And maybe some pain, which we see in this movie. It's like, ultimately, there's a lot of joy that comes with throwing yourself completely at something you're passionate about, but sometimes that's not entirely possible. Like, sometimes you have to make a choice, and it's not always easy. But I talked a lot. This is the third or fourth time I've mentioned the Valentine's Day episode. I ranted for a while in that episode about why I love Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind so much, and the idea that just because sometimes things don't work out, it doesn't mean it's not worth investing your energy into it. I think that's relevant here, because it's like, exactly like you're saying, there's so much benefit to just being passionate about things. There's so much joy that can be garnered from throwing yourself just wholeheartedly at, at a relationship or at a hobby or at a thing you're trying to learn. It's like, yes, that can result in pain. We see that in this movie. But there's so much joy that comes from that that it's worth doing. You might disagree, but Wyatt and I, I think, agree that it kind of makes life worth living. Yeah, there's, I believe, a Jason Isbell lyric. Shout out my dad if he's listening. I'm sure he is. That talks about... I swear it's him. I'll, I'll check this. Please pull it up. After I'm talking. But it talks about how the opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference, mm. which is something I firmly believe. And Bryce is right. You have to risk sadness if you're going to feel joy. It's just kind of part of the equation. But there's beauty in both, damn it. Holy fuck, did I just misquote. Oh, boy. It was not Jason Isbell who said that in a song. He may have referencing it originally. You know what the first person to say the opposite of love is not hate, it is indifference is? Do you want me to guess? <laughs> yeah. Justin Bieber. No. No, that's too smart. This is a grave miss for usually <laughs> a very historically oriented person such as myself. It is not famed oh, so this is gonna be a folky Americana singer-songwriter Jason Isbell who said this first. It is prolific writer and Holocaust survivor Eli Wiesel what the who hell? wrote Night. Night, yeah. I read Night. That was a good book. <laughs> who uh, said that first. Uh, sorry to him. That's a grave, <laughs> grave mistake on my Ooh, part. That is, that's tough. But uh, the quote. The quote, you know, still rings true whether or not it originated from songwriting circumstances or the atrocities of the Holocaust. Yeah. But... Let's move on from this. This makes me look a little questionable. I've yet to decide on the name for the category that is maybe our favorite or least favorite scene. If you're listening to this, feel free to to shoot us a message on Instagram uh, if you have an idea for this scene. But I like this movie, so I'm going to do a favorite scene. Wyatt briefly mentioned this. It's the scene where Mia is giving Sebastian the idea for Seb's he always has had the idea for the jazz bar or the jazz club, but specifically she draws him a logo and is like, this is what you should call it. Chicken on a stick is a dumbass name. They're, they're having this whole conversation and the two of them are just inspiring each other one after the other back and forth. And like, you can, a, you can feel the love that these characters have for each other. Like they have so much chemistry on screen together but also, like, they're driving each other towards their goals. And there's, like, this level of dynamicism that is just, like, really on display in this scene. And 
it kind of sweeps you off your feet in the way that a, a movie should. And then immediately following that. So I guess, I guess my favorite scene is the transition between these two scenes, which doesn't really make much sense. Immediately following that, Seb wakes up and he's by himself. And it's this like really stark white lighting. And he, he's wait, he wakes up and he looks around the room and he's by himself. And he notices like a stain on the ceiling that Damien Chazelle did not bother to show you before. The night before, it was all like red and blue lighting and really dynamic dialogue. And the two of them are cuddling. The two of them are like bouncing off of each other. And then that's immediately contrasted the next day with this like harsh reality of like maybe my dreams are not actually as possible as it felt like they were when I was with Mia, which is like, I've never seen that idea captured so well in a movie before. Damien Chazelle never tells you that in the writing of this movie. It's, it's all in the visuals and the editing. And like, if, if you're just watching this movie with like 60% attention, it's just, he wakes up the next day and gets ready and goes off and does his thing. But like every moment of this movie, and especially this one, this is my favorite. There is intention behind everything that Damien Chazelle is putting on the camera. And I love that. That scene was awesome. That's like a real feeling too. There's when you're with someone who, you know, supports you in that way, you feel like you can at that point fight God. I mean, <laughs> literally it, anything yeah. feels possible. And then you're kind of on your own for a second. You're like, Oh wait, I have to temper my realities here. Yeah. I am not. Well, it's not that you're not the person you think you are when you're like physically with them. It's just that being either loved or supported like that is just bound to build you up in a way that it would be unnatural if you could yourself. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point of surrounding yourself with people who make your brain produce chemicals that go crazy. But either way, it's a beautiful scene. My favorite scene in this movie is the dinner table scene in which Ryan Gosling comes back and it's the surprise that he is returned from tour mm, for one night, one argument. night only. And they have this, what's supposed to be a romantic dinner. And it breaks down into what I think is some of the best, like subtleties and acting I've seen in a while. So in that scene, they're sitting across from each other. You never really see the two of them in the same shot. It's lit by the candles at the dinner table. There's this like green curtain behind them. That matches with the film's colors, like color grading. That is just this beautiful thing we've mentioned and will continue to mention. And in that moment, uh, Sebastian is fresh off, so fresh off of like tasting his first success in a long while. He is doing well in his band with John Legend and his turtleneck, <laughs> the Messengers, I believe. They're the Messengers, called. yeah, mid-ass band. It's it's not good, and that's part of it. Is Mia realizes in her first attempt or not first attempt, in her first viewing of one of their shows, Sebastian has kind of sold out a little bit. He's not producing the music that is an ode to the people he loves so much. It is not traditional jazz. John Legend's character, I'm forgetting his name, I just think of him as John, it's John Legend. John Legend in a turtleneck. Yeah, um, convinces Sebastian that to make jazz something that continues to live, you have to be a pioneer and change it. Yeah, And that's not what he's out there to do. He's out there to showcase what he loves, what he has loved his whole life and provide an ode to the greats. So Mia says, Hey man, is this what you wanted? Is this what success looked like for you? And the whole time Ryan Gosling is struggling to make eye contact with her, which is something that again, if you're 
paying attention at 60%, you miss. But you know that feeling all too well when you're arguing with someone and they know better than you uh, in this instance. She knows that this is not what he wants, but he needs to convince himself this is because this is the first success he's tasted in so long. Yeah. He just wants that one win. But you can't sacrifice your overall goal for short-term successes if at the end of the day you're not going to be proud of what you what you ended up with at the end of the day. And it's it's easy for him to be like, my goal is to become a successful musician. And she knows that that's not the case. Yeah. And that's what other people are, are around you for. I mean, it's not that they're supposed to like guide you in each and every way, but the people that love you are supposed to be around you and prop you up when you fall back down and keep you on the path that you decided you wanted to be on and shared with them that you did. And so she's showcasing, hey man, this is, you're lying to yourself. You are seeing success, like people know your name, but there's more to that than this. You're not going to be happy, and you aren't right now. You're just telling yourself you are. And I think it is such a beautiful scene, such a real fight, in which it like they're arguing, but it is because they love each other and because she wants to see him succeed in the way that he wants to succeed. And I think it's just phenomenal. Yeah, what I, I don't think I can add anything to that really. I think you captured it really, really well. That's an incredible scene. The way that it just like it so naturally devolves into an argument. Like it it starts off as a normal conversation. It starts off as this romantic dinner. And you can feel with each line of dialogue it's slowly like inching its way towards tension and then towards that tension breaking where it fully becomes an argument. That's something that's really, really difficult to capture in a movie. I think more often than not, people are talking and then someone says something rude and then they start arguing it. But like in reality, that's rarely how an argument happens. Like there's a dialogue happening between two real people and nobody wants to argue. So like there's this game that you're playing with them where you're like maybe trying to tread around an argument that you can feel is coming until eventually one person or both tip over the edge. And you see that in this scene where it's like, she's kind of calling him out and it doesn't, you can tell it's making him uncomfortable, but it's not really an argument until he becomes so offended by this that he says something really rude to her. I can't remember what it is. Do you remember? Uh, So in that scene that Bryce is talking about, they're, they're slowly ramping up to the point where they're near yelling at each other. And Mia's repeating, why are you stating that what you wanted was to be in a band that means something to people? Why do you care about the opinions of others so much all of a sudden? That's not like you. And he says, you're an actress. What do you know about being liked or something? Yeah. It's, it's along that lines in which she, he's she saying She implies that, like he needs to be liked or he's acting like he needs to be liked, which is not him. And then he's like, you're an actress. Like that's, that's your all, whole that's all you do. Yeah. And it's reducing her entire aspirations into the need to, to please people. feel approval. Yeah. yeah. And it's so much more than that. And obviously he, and knows, he knows that. that. Yeah. Exactly. But it's just, he's feeling cornered. And when you're cornered, you lash out. Yep. A mistake that I've made. And I'm sure you've made before ill-advised things for the sake of leveling the playing field. Yep. Exactly. And it is the beginning of the end from there, but it is, God, such a good scene. Yeah, I, I love that scene. Hit me with a fun fact. You got I more got, fun I facts? I got some more fun facts for you. Bryce is a nerd fun fact corner. 
Uh, what else do we have? Here's a wild one. Another Day of Sun. So that's the opening dance scene in the movie that everyone's sitting in traffic and they're jumping around singing. 109 degrees when they filmed that. I would have died. Yeah, I me would have too. Died. That's my awful. my little Irish self would have been sunburnt in about fifteen minutes and dead in thirty. There's so many people like sliding across yes. cars on that. So so there are, it looks like there are hundreds of people in that scene, but apparently it's only thirty. It's a really impressive use of green screen where they have like they filmed people on a set mm. dancing, and like that's blended seamlessly with the people actually there on the freeway in the cars Did dancing they and stuff shut down LA uh, freeway traffic I would assume so for that a little is, bit which is insane I'm surprised they were not shot but yeah 109 degrees when they filmed that outdoors dancing sequence yeah don't <laughs> I don't envy that one yeah we we kind of touched on a lot of them naturally apparently a lot of Mia was inspired by real experiences that Ryan Gosling had such as the I'm mid audition and somebody interrupts me to figure out lunch orders for the casting directors. Apparently that was a real thing that happened to him. I wonder if that person knows that they did that to Ryan. That's Gosling. a great question because that's like a person that you don't remember. And because obviously that person did not care enough about yeah. Ryan Gosling in front of him to respect him and his time like that. But I wonder if like years back he sees him on TV and he goes, <laughs> Hey, wait man. a second. I say he, cause I can only assume a man would do that. Yeah. Oh man, we messed that up. We messed that's, up big time. He's doing well now. And we were too concerned about Jimmy Johns. God. Brett loves Jimmy Johns. Did you know that? You know that the dude who, like, Jimmy John himself is, like, a problematic, like, big game hunter? No, that's like, he wild. Shoots, he shoots, like, rhinos. Jimmy. Uh, seems Mr. like a weird John. guy. But every fast food magnate's probably not going to be, like, the greatest guy of all time. Yeah, that's fair. Um, this movie does really capture well the struggle of i mean this is not unique to this movie a lot of movies capture like the starving artist life but like seb is a piano player and aspiring musician and mia as an aspiring actress like the way that it captures not just like being broke which a lot of movies really emphasize when they're talking about or trying to portray a starving artist but like the pain associated with rejection there was there was one moment i think it was after the scene that we just mentioned where mia's interrupted like that's painful enough but as she's leaving she see as as she's leaving that audition she sees like 25 other girls that are also redheads more conventionally attractive emma stone if you're listening i don't think anybody's more conventionally attractive than you you go they're all more conventionally attractive. They're all wearing the same outfit. They're all taller. And it's like, I can, I, I even said this out loud when we were watching it. I, I could not do that. The, the constant rejection that you have to face as somebody trying to make it in the field of, of acting. And frankly, music too, <laughs> where it's just like every single day, your job is to go to auditions as many as you can fit. And you got to see all of these other people that are just as talented, if not more than you, going for the same part. And everyone's telling you no time after time after time, no matter how well-suited for a role you think you might be. Sometimes you'll get a callback and you get your hopes up. And then there's still 20 people that are getting a callback and only one person getting that role. Like, I have friends that are are actors uh, on Broadway. And <laughs> it's like, I, I admire them so much because I simply could not do that rejection every day 
it's why that I get like a little upset. People tend to to shit on people who are like, go to school for art, go to school for theater. And you know, I've definitely made side comments about it too. You can say what it is like economic wise uh, as a choice, but to throw yourself into a field like that in which you're pursuing that, which you love so aggressively, but likely to be rejected a hundred times over before you're accepted once is admirable totally to kind of nobody expects something like that to to come easy unless you're the child of someone who came hard for and then you can just little (laughs) nepo yeah nepo your way into that but uh it is admirable to anybody who pursues a career full-time in those fields to put yourself out there essentially to be judged by others whether or not they know you that well yeah a hundred times over before you have your breakthrough um and 99.9 percent of people will never have one yeah, exactly. which is insane so it's it's a testament to those that stick through with it either way i wanted to bring up one scene please the movie obviously is a musical suspends disbelief a few times nobody's going to break into into song on the the freeway in la you'll get run over and murdered uh or any variety of other situations in which you're singing but at the griffith observatory made famous by its inclusion in grand theft auto and no other reasons there's a dance Which scene. I, I I must add, I did not know it was a real location. Yeah, that's like <laughs> I, a... I was like, wait, that's the, the thing from Grand Theft Auto. There is a, a famous movie that I am forgetting the name of right now that does uh, have like a chase scene that ends up at the Griffith Observatory in the 50s. It might even be a James Bond movie. But in that movie, or in that scene, actually, there is uh, this moment in which uh, after their the movie that they were going to see the film starts on fire while they're in the theater. Uh, me and Sebastian instead decide that they have to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And they end up at the Griffith Observatory and they are dancing. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they begin to float. And suddenly they're dancing in the air. And it's the only instance in which, in this movie, characters do something that like a human physically could not do. And I was curious what you thought about the inclusion of that and the reasoning behind it. I, th- I think it might just be like the peak like this is sort of before any real tension comes into their relationship. I think um, honeymoon phase. Yeah, it, it's it's the honeymoon phase embodied. Like they're going to this magical place. I'm a big space guy. I like this. I like space, and that's a cool place to have a date. And miraculously, they're there by themselves somehow. Oh, I think they break um, in. Oh, that's probably it, what happens. Yeah. But like. I think it it's likely if if song and dance are a way to show the feeling of getting swept off your feet, showing them literally getting swept off of their feet, like the world disappears around them. It's literally just the two of them in space. And that, that could maybe not even necessarily mean outer space. Like it could just be the two of them in a space where there's nothing but the two of them. They're floating all that is there is the two of them. I, I think that's a good way of maybe metaphorically embodying what those characters are feeling at that point. You say that you like both the concept of space and also it seems like a cool date. I think first time one of our episodes, it's a thousand listens. We should raffle off or not raffle off a date with you at an observatory. <laughs> uh, like that should be our, that feels problematic. <laughs> Do you get to win a date with me? I don't think I like that idea. Hey, man. <laughs> you got to put it on the line to succeed in this business. 
Uh, We're the heartthrobs of the Pittsburgh podcast scene. I mean, so the the people have to be yearning, and you're the only one. That's fair. Um, Juliet, I haven't received any love letters yet. Happy with us? Me or Brett did it. We should uh, we should open a PO box so people can send us mail. I thought we'd get so much mail. Yeah, we would get no mail, but for the future, when I'm getting all of those love letters that you're mentioning, listen back to this moment. We'll need a, a PO box. That would be fun. I, I do have dreams of just Lasso the Moon content where we're the three. I mean, the three of us do stuff together all the time. It'd be fun to just record some stuff. Numero uno on that list is boxing. God, that'd be. I need to fight <laughs> Brett so bad. I hope he gets home from Target at some point. Uh, we hope he will get there. Why? Do you have anything else on your list that you feel compelled to talk about? Um, it's a good movie. It's a really good movie. I mean, it's. What we've talked about the whole time is that it's just real. I think that's what Yeah. I I mentioned this as either my first or second favorite romance in movie history. Second. Second. What did I was number one Augustus and Yeah. Yeah, that rocks. <laughs> uh just rewatched that movie too. Shout out to Fault in Their Stars. It is so good. But this is my second favorite movie romance for a reason. I think in the Valentine's Day podcast that's been mentioned a hundred times this episode for some reason. Well, it's a romance um, movie. Yeah, that's true. It's real. It is the relationship before the relationship that is equally important to the last one and an undervalued concept in American cinema. Yeah. A relationship that ends in a breakup, still going to have some damn good days, I tell you what. And those deserve to be appreciated. And La La Land is an ode to that. It is an ode to loving things. It is an ode to old movies. It is a phenomenal soundtrack. It makes LA look more appetizing as a livable destination than it actually is. Got a good cover of Ryan Gosling playing Iran. Oh, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, that's fun. And it is a movie that is really fun to watch. Certainly. I've got a hot take. Oh boy. I don't love the music. I love the score. Like just like the actual like musical numbers? Yeah. Which ones Cert- you- certain ones I really like. I mean, City of Stars is like a classic. Yeah. There's a reason why that one best original song that year. Is it like the faster it's, paced it's, ones you don't no, like? No, it's not even like, I can't even point to like, I didn't like this song. It's just like, I don't think any of them are bad, but none of them other than like that main theme in the score, which is City of Stars. None of them really stick with me. I mean, that's purely, purely my own take and my own opinion, I would imagine Wyatt and just about anyone else that sees this movie is going to love this music. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> outside of, outside of when he sees me from waitress, which is my still Banger. Like, kind of right now. My go-to scream in the car song. You should like watch that musical sometime. I should. I think I'd probably enjoy great. it. But outside of that, this is like this whole soundtrack is pretty much the extent of the musical catalog, of which I <laughs> that enjoy. You listen to. Uh, my personal favorite goes to, I forget the name of the song off the top of my head, but when they're leaving the party, it's the tap dance number mm-hmm. where they're obviously crushing on each other, but they're just trading like shitty little flirty, like back and forths to like a tap dance number. It's like the main ode to singing in the rain. I've said ode a lot today. Um, it's a good word. But Is it a lovely night? Yeah. A lovely night where they're talking about it's such a lovely night. If only they could spend it with anyone else. Just the two of them. It's wasted on the two of them. Which and is a, a fun way to like treat your relationship. The the sarcastic. I feel like it's a very like Gen Z millennial way to go about relationships with friends and 
romantic partners. The like, yeah, where you're just kind of you shitting suck. on them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's funny because it's something I would absolutely do. Yes, exactly. I think that I make a lot of my affection known in being mean as a joke. You're like um, a like a a toddler on the playground. Yeah, absolutely. Pulling your crush's hair. Not to that extent. I can I can understand where issues with the music lie. There's a ton of songs in there that kind of fade into non-existence. Again, that's that's like totally yeah. my opinion. City I, I pointed stars. out I pointed out earlier there are a lot of really shitty musical movies that I kind of like just because <laughs> I like the music. The fact that the musical numbers don't really stick with me quite as much as they would in other movies, and I still love this movie a lot more than most of those musicals is to use your word, a great ode to how successful the rest of this movie is. If you don't find a way to fit ode into the title of this episode, I'm going to be really upset. I frankly thought after our first episode that me being blown was going to be a a regular occurrence on this podcast. I'm glad to see that it is not. There we go. (laughs) I'm trying to, every time that we record one of these, I'm afraid that I'm going to say the same thing over and over again. (laughs) Like I'll have the same analysis for different movies. every movie, yeah. And maybe it's just me saying ode over and over again, but I sound cool when I say it, I think. We I got sound, passionate about this one. I sound sophisticated. I really like this movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. really like movies like this that lend a lot to discussion and like, I just like people. People rock. Movies about people are infinitely better than movies about like things that happen. I care so much less about like to throw Marvel under the bus as I always do. Like these, these fights between... Yeah like factions of people. I don't care about them. The whole point of everything is to set up the thing that happens later. Yeah. I want to know about everybody involved. Give me their whole backstory. I don't want to see them fight anybody. I want to know where their childhood whimsy went. You know, that's, that's (laughs) to carry on this point. It's like the, in general, the most successful Marvel movies that I have, in my opinion, are the ones where they're really character focused. Character study movies are awesome. And Damien Chazelle has delivered a bunch of really great ones. Anything else from you? Special shout out to Pissy Caca, which is a thing that Sebastian says at least three times in this movie. I don't know if you picked up on that. Certainly did. It's not a thing that I think we <laughs> should bring into this world. Not a thing that any human should ever say. <laughs> every, time, every time a normal human would be like, oh, that's nonsense. Seb just says, Pissy Caca which is very gross and <laughs> maybe a little bit funny, but I think it just makes me uncomfortable. It's a weird bit. Uh, let's see. Do I have anything else here? You know what I really want? I wish they had replaced John Legend with Pharrell Williams. Wow. And then this might be the a perfect A much movie. better artist. Uh, a guy who I assume would be phenomenal at acting. Just because he's Pharrell Williams? Yeah, just because he rocks. Yeah, that's fair. That... Ever since that video I saw, have you ever seen the one where he watches Maggie Rogers play her song in New York? Yes. It's the coolest thing of That's all time. That's a great video. Highly um, recommend checking that out. Just Google Pharrell Williams, Maggie Rogers, if you're curious. That is probably like the single greatest feeling of all time to watch a famous person listen oh, yeah. to something you did. And then they're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. But either way. We'll get there. I think Pharrell Williams. Yeah. When <laughs> Sean Fennessy <laughs> is like, this is a really great podcast. You should be proud of, of what you're doing here. Bryce uh, will be kicking his will feet cry. and giggling. Yeah. I think everybody should see this movie. I don't really think that there's a large contingent of people who I'd think, oh, if you like this type of movie, you won't like La La Land. Yeah. I think it appeals to like the masses in a way that an artsier movie traditionally doesn't. I think it is 
a decade defining and like era defining movie. Totally. Uh, and is like the musical of at least the 21st century so far. Yeah. And I would not be shocked to see it have like major historical impact in the, the film game. It's crazy. You would say that when the 2012 Les Mis came out the same year, 2012 Les Mis did not come out the same years. The same decade. I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) It was a dumb joke, but either way, (laughs) I did watch that in French class. We had to sign a permission slip to be able to watch that because they talked PG-13. about prostitution. <laughs> but yeah, no, La La Land is infinitely better. Yeah, I do love Les Mis, but that movie is uh, not great. Who was the guy in Les Mis that was like the heartthrob of the world for like a minute? The actor. Is it not Hugh Jackman? Oh, oh it's Eddie probably. Redmayne. Uh, either way. Either way. I don't know why. Russell Crowe? No, it was definitely Hugh Jackman, but I just forgot it was Hugh Jackman. People love Hugh Jackman. They loved him before and have after loved him as well. I like Huge. Huge Ackman. Huge Ackman. Yeah, I think that's all we got for La La Land. This was a fun discussion. I'm sorry Brett wasn't here for it. When he gets out of Target, we'll let him back on the pod. Yeah, we'll we'll let you know when that happens. I don't know what our next episode's going to be. We'll figure that out. I got to look at what's coming out. We'll see if we do another throwback or... Uh, movie in theaters. I, I think it would be fun. I was thinking, so if you voted on our poll on Instagram, thank you very much for that. This is the film that won. I meant to mention that in the beginning, but it's not relevant. I think it would be fun. The three of us, we each submitted one of these movies. This was obviously Wyatt's pick. I think it would be fun for like birthdays. We each get to like pick a movie. I, I, I kind of want to do that more regularly than mm. just like once a year or a birthday. I'm curious to um, see how this episode's received, especially after the uh, interstellar one when i was gone and you guys pulled for movies mm-hmm. seemed to do pretty well i understand the incentive in us talking about movies that people have people seen have actually seen yeah as much as i love my weird little movies that nobody's seen uh either way if you like this idea and you like listening to to movies that have come out and you've had some time to actually go out and see let us know you know skinnamarink is one of our highest performing episodes that does not shock it's me. like our second most listened to episode what's number one uh, I think our first episode, which is like not that surprising. Yeah, but because <laughs> we post, hey, we started a podcast. All yeah. of our friends are going to be like, let's listen to how shit this podcast is. But that does not shock me. I think our skin and ring discussion was very fun. It's very fun. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. If you've listened up until this point. I think I can speak for Wyatt in saying I personally am very proud of where this podcast has gone. If all has gone according to plan, you heard our first ever sponsor. We're very happy to have received that. Thank you very much for Spotify for Podcasters. We're on the come up, bitch. We're on the come up. We're going to make it one day. Got it out the mud, in my bag, like the fries at the bottom. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We love you. We love you. Follow us on Instagram at Last of the Moon Pod to get updated on any time we upload a new episode. Thank you very much for listening. We love you. We would Last of the Moon for you. Hope you would do the same for us. Have a splendid eve. Good night. Love you. Bye.